Hey, little bunny. You ready to go to the beach? I am. Are you sure you're ready, Henley? Uh-huh. Are you positive? I have four. What do you have? A sand toy. Oh, isn't this beautiful? Yes. Oh, no. The sun is going down. What does that mean? That means it's nighttime. Yeah. But you know what, Henley? We'll come back up. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Hot Marriage, Cool Parents. We have a very special guest on today, not just my mom to talk about Married at First Sight, which is definitely coming up, but we have a actual scientist that has been studying infectious diseases and she's an epidemiologist. She's been studying infections and diseases like COVID and she's going to give us all the information about the vaccines going to take on some of the rumors that are out there about the vaccines, tell us if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and so much more. But so happy to be able to speak with her. She is a wealth of knowledge and also speaks in layman's terms for me, which is great. But we had a great conversation. I'm so pumped for you guys to hear that later. But first, we always love giving a five-star review shout out. And if you do happen to take the time to leave us a review, thank you so much. We do read every single one, even through Instagram, whether it's on the Hot Marriage Cool Parents Instagram page or our personal pages. We love hearing from you guys. We love five-star reviews, obviously, and we love giving a shout out to give back. So this week, this five-star review comes from Hillary72034, who writes, I have loved you guys and have been following you guys forever. And I also use therapy after a really bad marriage and did years ago. Thanks, Jamie, for being yourself. And I'm assuming you meant Doug as well. I do not take offense to that. But anyway, thank you. Thank you for reaching out. And again, we do read all the comments and a lot of the guests that we've had on so far have been specific to body positivity and just a lot of what relates to mental health and I know earlier in the podcast, life, <laughs> right in the beginning, we had a lot of different guests on that we're talking about parenting, and we are going to mix those in. I know we have a lot of fun guests lined up. We also have a couple more reality TV stars that are going to be joining us on the podcast. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, today, we have an epidemiologist that's going to come on and talk a little bit more about COVID and all the vaccines that are out and really get to some of the top questions that I have about the uh, COVID virus. But before we get to the Married at First Sight recap and then our very special guest, I do want to wish everybody a very happy and safe Easter, whether you're celebrating Easter or not, or whether you're able to get together with family or not. Unfortunately, this year and even last year, because COVID was still around kind of last year, but this year we're not going to even be in New Jersey for Easter. So my parents actually sent up some Easter gifts to put in a basket for Henley and Hendrix. And it's really sad. I know that we're not alone in not being able to get together with family. Unfortunately, we're in a different state, but my parents are coming up next week. So there's always that. And my parents really haven't seen my kids at all other than Zoom. So it's going to take some getting used to for Hendrix. I know the last time when we went home, Hendrix didn't really even know my parents. Just he was crying every time that he saw them. But eventually he warmed up. And once he got together with all his cousins, he was totally fine from there. So I can't wait to see them. And Jamie and I recently, and I don't know if you saw us on social media, but Jamie and I recently went to one of the New York Yankees spring training games down here in Florida. And what a blast that was. It was the first time that Henley and Hendricks were at a professional baseball game. And spring training was a little bit weird. I always like spring training games just because you get super close to the field. You get super close to the players. And now with COVID, the arena was sold out by the time that we were looking for tickets, but they do sell them in packs of four. But every four seats, they 
close off. So you can't really sit within six feet of people. You can still walk around the stadium, but a lot of the seats were zip tied and we can get right up to the field. We were actually sitting right next to the Orioles bullpen. And I thought it would be a great idea to say, Hey Henley, if you go over to the Orioles bullpen, ask them for a baseball. They can't refuse a little girl. And it took me five innings to try to get Henley to go over and ask for a ball where we finally went over and I looked at one of the players and I gave a little head nod and Henley said ball and he threw up a ball and Henley caught it. And I, the excitement on her face was so amazing. You know, both Henley and Hendricks, they'll watch TV for like five minutes and then they're off to something else. They were actually watching the game. They were clapping when everybody was clapping. They were saying, let's go Yankees. Well, not Hendricks, but it was really such an enjoyable experience. And I remember going when I was a kid and baseball was a major part of my life. I played it all growing up. I got a scholarship to play in college. I've tried out for several professional baseball teams, had a labrum tear in my shoulder twice. So I had two surgeries, one which sidelined me the last year that I was going to play in college. So it was kind of a devastating injury, but still love the game, still love going. I was just happy that Henley and Hendricks were so into baseball. And when we got home, Henley now wants to pick up the bat and throw the ball. And we actually got two foul balls from them at the game. So super exciting. It was just fun all around. I was happy. And I kind of wish I would have planned ahead for this spring training because in Sarasota, there's a stadium for the Orioles. So the Orioles do their spring training at a field in Sarasota, which would have been super convenient, but there's always next year. I was just happy that everyone was excited. Everyone had a great time. I was so happy to see Henley and Hendricks acting great. I mean, they were really, we stayed until the end of the game and they were in it for the whole entire game. And it was just fun. They got a chance to roll around and run around and we got two baseballs, which was amazing. So it just really brought a smile to my face, knowing how much baseball means to me and was a part of my life. And hopefully my kids are into it. And if not, that's totally okay too. But they will be getting subtle hints every single birthday and throughout the year as they get gloves and new gloves and bats and then baseballs. And eventually I'm going to replace all of their toys with just baseballs and bats and everything else. And then they'll have no choice to play. No, totally not going to do that. But Henley did say that she would want to go again. So that was awesome. But enough about the Yankee talk. As always, we've received a lot of positive feedback about our Married at First Sight reviews with my parents, which has really just morphed into my very opinionated mom giving her thumb up or thumbs down or thumb in the middle about the couples from this season. But they're not so much fanatics, but they do watch the show and their favorite season was season one. Let's bring on my mom. Hello, mother and father. Or do we just, or do we just have mom? We just have mom. Okay. Daddy's making ready for Easter. He's cleaning out the refrigerator. And, gotcha. You know. Good old spring cleaning. Is that what they call it? Yeah. <laughs> We're coming up towards the end of the Married at First Sight season, and we are fortunate enough to have some really dramatic cast members and couples and also some that are still on the fence, but... I'll start off here because we always like to dissect each and every couple with my mom. So we're going to start off with Eric and Virginia first, who I believe just had their very first fight. And I've, oh, and it was a big one. Yes. I've always been a proponent of not trying to get into an argument, but it's better to get into a big fight while you're on the show because you have the experts and everybody else that'll make you talk through it, dissect it talk with the experts about it and they'll help walk you through it because getting married as strangers, you don't necessarily know 
how to fight with each other. You don't know what's going to be too far or too little, or you have to get together on and right at the same page, communicating your frustrations, your anger. And a lot of that stuff doesn't come from the beginning of your marriage and the beginning of the relationship. But mom, what was your take on that? Exactly. Well, since we're talking about Virginia and Eric, I just didn't realize she brought up the fact about she's very anxious. You know, she's got a lot of anxiety. That was never brought out before that that's what she suffers from. And, you know, I've always thought that Eric was a little bit too controlling, but I thought he was a little bit forcing the fight. And then when she started to cry and now when she was saying, I'm anxious, da, 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 you know, then he was a little bit more sympathetic. But yeah. she goes off on dopey things like the dog. Yeah, know? I didn't get that. Like, like, was it the dog that was really getting in the way of having a really good relationship? It just didn't make sense to me. No, it didn't make sense. But, you know, that's where I heard her say, you know, I'm anxious. You know, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. I, you know, I'm very anxious and I'm nervous. And like I just said, that's the first time I ever heard her talk about kind of, sort of, I, I don't want to say a mental yeah. illness. Well, but, I mean, uh, you know, looking back, you kind of see some of the hints, you know, it kind of makes sense because of how much reassurance she needs. And, you know, rightfully so. I mean, when you don't know your partner too well, you want to make sure that they're still in it. But, you know, I think that's almost a recipe for disaster. Someone that's really anxious and always worried getting together with someone that's controlling because I just think that'll cause a big wedge. So hopefully Eric can ease up on that and they can yeah, get on the he, same page. He did back off as the argument, you know, yeah. heated. And, you know, just in general, when she went to visit her, you know, the rest of the girls from married at first, she did say she suffers you know, from anxiety and that she feels that she, you know, really should go talk to somebody. I don't know. She's going to find somebody. Paige had said, you know, I've been to a few good therapists, so if you need the name of one. Well, you know me, Douglas, I suffered from anxiety for a very, very, very long time. And, you know, the only way that things are going to be a little bit clearer is if she, you know, takes her own advice and takes the other girl's advice and go gets help. And Eric has to be a little bit more understanding, which I which I think he is, because I really, truly think he wants to make this work. I do, too. But the other side of that is, you know, you can kind of see why it seems like she's constantly drinking if she does suffer from anxiety you wonder if that's kind of her self-medicating with oh, all the I'm alcohol. Sure. I'm sure. Darn it. I wish when I was going through my anxiety attacks, <laughs> you know, I wish I had a vice like that or whatever. Right. Yeah, but... <laughs> I just took it out on your poor dad. Yeah. But well, he was a good egg. He yeah. was a good egg. Helped me through it. These Hainer men are great. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll give a high five to that. Yeah. So when are we going to talk about my favorite couple? Oh, we're going to get there. That'll be towards the end. The last, oh, okay. the, yeah, the last thing I wanted to mention about Eric and Virginia and something that I can't stand when somebody just constantly gives an ultimatum, you know, you're a couple now, you should be able to come together and find a solution together rather than just giving all of the soft ultimatums all the time. Like you said, well, if you don't like it, get out. Right. You it's know, so childish. Right. And that's why he, he kind of sort of really backed off. 
you know, he was angry at the beginning. He didn't know. Because I thought the argument was very, very stupid. It was really, really stupid. And even going back to the week before, when she was saying, well, it's not my apartment. I don't want to move into that apartment. Or I don't want to move into your house. It's not my house. And he was trying to get through to her. Look, you move your stuff into my house, you know, for the time being. And, you know, then we'll look for something that we can be together in our home. You know, and she just was like, no, no, I'll stay in my apartment. Well, I don't know. He's so much more mature than her. Yeah. And she's got to, you know, she can't just all of a sudden say, no, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. So, uh, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I hope as he's getting to know her and especially this blow up, I think he's opened his eyes a little bit to say, whoa, okay, I got to really take things a little bit easier with her because she's a little bit fragile. Yeah. So, you know, maybe uh, I think out of all the couples besides Brianna and Vincent, I think they have good conversations. They have good communication. Yeah, for sure. But my son is still in the center. Gotcha. Still okay. In the center. All right. Well, let's move on to Ryan and Clara, who almost had some pleasurable moments or romantic moments, but it seems like. Yeah, I thought that, that yoga instructor was going to watch him do it. Yeah. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, you can't be more clear about your sexual frustrations than calling for tantric yoga and then just, I mean, she needs to put a poster in front of his head, like, please have sex with me, or I want you to have sex with me. I think that might get through to him. I don't understand it. I truly think, Douglas, that he's a virgin. If he's never told anybody that he loves them, and he's so much a preacher's child, I don't know if, you know... I don't know. Maybe he's come close to it a lot of times, but just like Viviana said, you know, Dr. Viviana, I think he's a virgin and I think he's scared. Yeah, could be. But I just don't understand how, and this is coming from a guy's point of view. I I don't understand how all of that can happen. And you have that sexual tension and frustration and, you know, you would want to find out with your wife, if anything, you have a wife now. It's not like it's a girlfriend. Like if you're saving yourself for marriage, dude, you're married, you know, you're you're married now. But I just don't. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a little dig in there, although she says she's, you know, they've done everything. But what if he has a little penis and (laughs) she's disappointed? Yeah. (laughs) Wait, no. Well, I don't think that's the case because she still wants to sleep with them. I mean, if they've done everything else, she still wants to like, like, I just, it's sexually frustrating and I get it. And I remember going through the experiment and I'm not one to, I'm not one to ever push somebody into having sex. Like it wasn't a priority for me in the beginning just because I wanted to get to know Jamie. But, you know, Jamie was also not giving me signals to open up and to go there. Not right, not like right. Clara is. And the way that I took it in the beginning without the expert's help was, you know, maybe she's just not attracted to me. I just don't understand yeah. why, you know, yeah. she hasn't opened up right. and why now she... Now you were starting to sound like Jacob. Well, but that was before we talked to Dr. Logan. And, you know, it's just like, well, when you aren't intimate with me, it makes me feel like you're not attracted to me. And yeah. that guys can get over way more than girls can. So if that's going on through Clara's head, like saying, you know, like if you're not having sex with me, then you're just not attracted to me. And I, you know, and that could be damaging. He he makes every excuse in the 
book. You know, we're still getting to know each other and blah, blah, which makes me really feel that he's never had sex before. Yeah. I mean, that could be a possibility. Could you know? be. Well, I still think that... I would have uh, to wear uh, a sign to bed. Please <laughs> let's make love. All right. Or just don't go to bed with clothes on. I don't know how much more clear you can be after that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they'll do okay. I, I like them. Yeah. I, I really, really hope that he can see the light. I don't, I don't know. I'm starting to put my thumb down for them. I don't see. Really? Yeah, just because. You could see it in her face. Yeah. I mean, every time that they talk about something, you know, her face is like, come on, dude. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was holding back tears the one time after he called her pal. Yeah, I you know. know. Well, we'll he, see. you heard her say also you know, if he doesn't say the L word or we don't have sex by, you know, the six or seven weeks, I'm out, you know? Yeah. So I, who knows? But, you know, it shouldn't be the most important thing no. in marriage sex, but it, it should be way, way up there. It's, it should and be a high priority. See, and I could see how frustrated she is. And it's, you know, it's really gotta be. Yeah. You just hope it doesn't get to a boiling point to where she flips out or just, you know, it gets to a point of no return. Um, exactly. you know, but anyway, exactly. I don't want to spend too much time on Jacob and Haley because there's just nothing there. That's just, no, there is. it's That's over done with. They're just not going to be together. Everybody knows that it's just unfortunate, yeah, but they're, they're just they're not just, good together. They're not compatible at all. And you know, I feel bad that the experts thought that her outgoingness would bring him a little bit out, but he's so down on himself. It's, you know, well, you don't like me. Yeah. He's almost like in high school. He is stuck <laughs> back in the 80s. He really, truly is. She doesn't like me. Yeah. So she deserves something better. My thumbs are way, way down on them, too. Yeah. I always wondered, too, if it's a thing like where a guy that's all jacked up and, you know, like super strong and ripped and everything. Like the minute somebody says like, it doesn't show them respect or attraction. It's like they go into this babyish mode. It's weird. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But dad said he doesn't think she'll ever have a man. She's too picky. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like she tried. Yeah, I think she tried, but, yeah. you know, she picked him apart right away, you know, in the beginning. She really picked him yeah. apart. And, uh, now my thumbs are down on them, too. Of course, yeah. And then on to Paige and Chris, who... Well, have, let's get over... A lot of emotion. Vincent and Brianna, there's nothing wrong with them. I give them, you know, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, they're, they're I cute together. Even if, they, even if they have... I don't know if you saw scenes from next week's show, but, you know, there's a thing about kids and all this and that. So if they're going to have an argument or if they're going to have a disagreement, I think that'll be it. But I just think their communication is really, really good. And I really, truly like them as a couple. Yeah, I think they'll make it. Yeah, and it seems like their work schedules and everything else kind of, I mean, they, they've got on a really good page right in the beginning. Yeah. So True. So my thumbs have always been up for them. Yeah. But now, so for Paige and Chris... It's over. You know, she's saying, you know, I should have seen the signs from the very beginning. Yes, you should have yeah. <laughs> seen the signs from the beginning. You know, they were all out in front of you. Yeah, yeah. That's why in the beginning I called her Lala. Because <laughs> she seemed like she was in La La Land and nothing 
you know, something was going in that he said, but it was going right out the other end. Yeah. And there was a lot of signs there. I'm and glad. And then when Chris had, you know, lunch or breakfast, whatever, with his mother. Yeah, she wasn't surprised know, at all. No, she wasn't. She wasn't. You know, and, and I, I, you know, he's just a loser as far yeah. as I'm concerned. He just wasn't ready to be married for whatever reason he got no. into this experiment thinking that he was going to get... You know, someone that was going to be a supermodel. I think anything less than a supermodel in his mind would have been well, not good. That was exactly right. You he know. got married for as God-loving, supposedly, as he says he is. He is so materialistic, and it's, it's sickening. Yeah. It's really, really sickening. But it's nice to but, see that people on Chris's side are showing Paige support. I mean, it's, you know... Oh, it, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm surprised that Chris's mom didn't reach out to her to say, I'm sorry that things did. But, you know, maybe yeah. maybe she did uh, just not on, you know, you don't see it on the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that their storyline is over. I don't like it when Paige seems like she's constantly going back, which is the perception from what we see on TV is that she's constantly giving him these chances and chances. And, you know, you're yeah, in an experiment. Yeah. You are forced to be with each other every once in a while, at least, you yeah. know, and I know that she really wanted it to work, but it's good that she got to a point oh, where absolutely. she knows she, she was in it for all yeah. the right reasons. And it's she good. Really, she really was in it for all the right reasons. But I was also very happy that she took it upon herself to say, I have to fix page first. I have to think of me first, and I haven't done that. She was so impressed with getting married and, you know, living happily ever after, but she's got to work on herself, making herself happy, which is good. And, you know, she's such a pretty woman. You know, I don't think she'll have a problem finding somebody that's going to really love her. Yeah, I think that she'll become stronger from this, just as most people that go through. Absolutely, absolutely. When the experts say, you know, hopefully, you know, because it is an experiment. And not all experiments work. We've got to understand that. And, you know, but from every experiment, you learn what you did wrong. So hopefully when you try the experiment again, you know, this time it's going to be a little bit more successful. Yeah. Right? Yeah, of course. So that's, yeah, so... So that's good. Yeah. From what I'm hearing I'm really is that... I'm anxious for D-Day. I know, I'm really I know. anxious for D-Day. I see if my predictions, because everything could be a surprise. Yeah. And well, I'm looking forward to the reunion because I know Kevin Frazier doesn't hold back from asking no, and, and giving it to people, but also asking the questions and just calling them on their bullshit. I love Kevin Frazier for that. Absolutely. Well, you know, right after last week's Married at First Sight or the week before, he did give insight, you know, a little spoiler for the end of the show. Right. So I'm not going to say it with you guys because I don't know if everybody has seen it, but whoa, <laughs> that'll be uh, okay. To see. Nice little cliffhanger. Well, Mom, I love you and thank you for joining I, I, us for another week. Okay. I love you too. Australia. Married at First Sight, Australia. Like listening to the swamp people. I know. Daddy said, watching Married at First Sight, Australia is like watching swamp people that you can't understand. I was was fascinated, (laughs) fascinated by that show. It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. I know. I like how they add all different people, shapes, sizes, and oh you know, like, God, a, yes. like, oh my God, 
There's no age limit, nothing. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm upset that we can't be together for Easter, but I'm sure we'll FaceTime and everything else. And uh, I love you, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, take it easy. Give those kids a kiss for me. Will do. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it. My mom is full of opinions, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but what are you going to do? I think each year she's been pretty spot on with her predictions, at least midway through each season, but love hearing from them. It does make me a little bit sad that I'm not going to be able to be home for Easter, and not just for me, but for Henley and Hendrix, but my parents are coming up to Florida next weekend, so we haven't seen them in a couple months now. By the time we left New Jersey to come to Florida, Hendrix wasn't even crawling, and now he's crawling and able to stand up and pushing things as he's walking. So I know that my parents are probably not going to put my kids down (laughs) as soon as they get here, but I'm really looking forward to seeing them because I miss them. I miss Jersey. I miss our New Jersey house. Florida's great for the weather, but my home is in New Jersey. I love it. But anyway, as I mentioned before, we have a great guest coming on. And we're going to call her the COVID lady, but she's actually a scientist, an epidemiologist that studies infectious diseases, and she's going to clear up some of the rumors. She's also going to give us some of the facts and tell us whether there is a light at the end of the tunnel and are these vaccines working? So without further ado, let's bring on Jessica. Hey guys, okay, so we have Jessica Malati Rivera. She's an infectious disease epidemiologist and science communicator. She earned her master's in emergent infectious diseases from the Georgetown School of Medicine and has dedicated the last 15 years of her career to disease surveillance research, public health policy, and vaccine advocacy. Her specialty is in translating complex scientific concepts into impactful, judgment-free, and accessible information for a diverse audience. She's currently the science communication lead for the COVID tracking project at The Atlantic, a researcher with the COVID-19 Dispersed Volunteer Research Network, and an expert contributor for NBC Bay Area and CNN. Between her day jobs and being a full-time mama to two little kiddos, she also dedicates several hours a week to promoting science literacy and debunking misinformation on social media, which that's exactly why we want you here. Thank you so much for being here. You're a busy woman, (laughs) I can tell. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And there is a pandemic happening, so you're even more busy. Yeah, Yeah. pretty busy. I couldn't even imagine how busy you are right now. I wanted to actually start off on a lighter note. What are some of the craziest theories that you've heard about the vaccine? Oh my God. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) I've heard so many. I mean, some of them are so laughably bonkers and some of them are scary because you're like, I can see how somebody would think that. But I would say the more outlandish ones are that it would... (laughs) that it would turn you into a 5G cell tower, that it wasn't just like a microchip, that like you were actually yourself going to be a 5G tower. And I'm like, I mean, I would love great internet in my house. I mean, getting internet anywhere where you stand, I mean, that's phenomenal. (laughs) What? Yeah, 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 that's one. And I would say another one is, yeah, people would say things like a vaccine would somehow make you a religious, like it would remove the part of your brain that like would be interested. And this is part of like the theory against Bill Gates, which is, you know, completely unfounded this that he's got this, you know, goal for like global domination and to make people hate God and hate religion. And you're like, 
how can a vaccine even do that? I mean, I, I, mean, I would love to know if that could happen yeah. in a vaccine, but it cannot. So <laughs> I think that it just kind of so funny. Yeah, that's really wild that someone yeah. that. And then I kind of want to go with some of them that aren't so outlandish, but are also absolutely not true. Yeah. Do you have any, because you were saying there are some that you could see why they would even think like that. Like to me, I'm actually interested in that a lot because maybe someone sane thought something like, you know, this and it's not true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that the logical fallacy of correlation is not causation happens in a lot of things related to health. And so people were very quick to say things like, if you get vaccinated, it'll make you infertile. And you're like, why would you think that? Oh, because people fundamentally don't understand things like mRNA. mRNA exists in your body at all times. It's always in your body. It's not some like foreign thing. And mRNA, people kind of hear that sounds like DNA. It's going to alter your DNA. That sounds like genetic modification. That sounds like changing who we are as a species. And it it sounds like changing our bodies. Maybe we can't reproduce anymore. So you can see how scary sounding things like genetic material and genetic you know, particles sound. So those leaps, I can have empathy and say, oh yeah, let me just explain it to you. It's not as crazy as you think. mRNA is a very simple, simple thing, very delicate and fragile, which is why it has to be frozen at such low temperatures. But I understood how people were making those leaps. When it got to the point of people making very unscientific claims of like, oh, it's going to attack placental proteins. You're like, you're literally making that up. Like that's not a leap that you can actually make based on a flawed understanding, you know, from a a lay person's flawed understanding, you kind of have to like look at it and like make it up. I would say another one that I can understand is, you know, just even long-term effects, people not understanding that vaccines don't remain in your body very long. An analogy that I've given that's helped people a lot is that you can think of the vaccine like a Snapchat message, kind of goes in your body, shows you a picture. It doesn't last very long because it sends the message and then it's degraded shortly after because it's a very delicate thing. And then the only thing that remains in your body is your immune response, which is a good thing. It should be your body's way of saying, okay, now I remember. And if I see this again, I'm going to fight it. And that I think provides a lot of people like, oh, I thought this was going to be like permanently injected into our bodies and the vaccine was always going to be in our bodies so that the vaccine was fighting the virus. But no, it's your immune system. It's your trained, strengthened antibodies that have that memory. And I think it's just kind of explaining some of the science that I can't presume everybody knows. I live in it, right? I'm biased to get it because I live in it. So it's stuff like that that I don't get tired of repeating because I know that there are people that just need to hear it one more time. I love the way that you just explained that. What is a vaccination? Yeah. Like what? Because like you're because you're right. There are so many of us who. I mean, I even I went to nursing school. I'm a labor and delivery nurse, but even I don't know this the yeah. bulk of the science behind it. I don't study vaccinations. You yeah. know, epidemiology was nothing. I mean, that's like barely part of our. You know, we have no idea. Even as someone who is a registered nurse, you know. Yeah. So ah, you have such a wealth of information, and and I can see you just spewing it because it's it's what you live in and it's who you are. But did the science community foresee something like this? I know there's a couple videos, Bill Gates had mentioned in one of the talks that, you know, they can expect something that's going to be an infection in the lungs or some sort of disease like this. Was anything like this being tracked before this actually broke? 
That's such a good question. And the answer is yes. So when I was at Georgetown studying, I was also working at Georgetown in the Division of Integrated Biodefense. And what we were doing was we were tracking indicators and warnings for the next big pandemic. Anybody who was in my space knew that it was a matter of time, that it was not a matter of if, it was going to be when. We expected a new novel virus, likely from a zoonotic spillover, meaning from an animal species that infects humans and that is likely respiratory because those spread so quickly through droplets and through close contact that we, I mean, this was absolutely predictable in that sense. No kidding. So question, uh, how did you know? Like what kind of led you to it? Yeah. I mean, it's not any like weird science clairvoyance or even kind of conspiracy. I think a lot of people love to draw false conclusions on what it means to anticipate infectious disease outbreaks. It's just based on kind of how diseases evolve. So we exist as a human species in close contact with a lot of animal species. And sometimes those ecosystems clash. And so when we clash too frequently, when we are encroaching on, you know, forests by deforestation or over culling of animals for consumption, like all of those things have have consequences. And I think some of the consequences affect human health. If we go back in history, I think half of the diseases that affect humans have an animal origin at some point. So it's likely that that kind of event would happen. We couldn't have predicted exactly that it would have been, you know, SARS-CoV-2, but coronaviruses, this is not the first time we've seen this. We've seen SARS-1, we saw MERS, and now this. So that in and of itself is also not surprising. Wow. Honestly, already I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I remember I was in high school when SARS and MRSA came around and I even think the swine flu. So it's it's interesting that you know some of the animals like a pig is something that humans are in very close contact yeah. with. From what I understand, this particular disease or this particular infection started out with a bat species. Is that correct? It's possible. So it's not 100% known yet. It seems gotcha. very likely that there could have been like an original species that gave it to a bat, that gave it to a human. But bats are a very likely culprit because bats, and this is very strange, they are disease reservoirs, virus reservoirs. And the strangest thing about them is that they don't actually get infected by the viruses that they carry because they fly. It's like this weird metabolism thing that they don't actually get sick, but they fly and shed the virus. They transmit it to others. And so it's very likely that that's the origin. It's, it's funny that you mentioned swine because when we were at Georgetown, our team actually detected the origin of the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. And we started noticing trends at a pig farm in Mexico. Wow. And that was kind of, you know, how it originated. Even like the mad cow disease too. Yeah. We were tracking all kinds of events in animals, every disease you could possibly imagine. Are you saying that humans need to learn to fly? To get rid of this, <laughs> that's well, your only cure. Have to change for that to happen. <laughs> okay, so on that note, so this is exactly why we brought you on because I am nursing, and I obviously the COVID vaccination is widely available now, which you know is amazing. Yes, I mean it is kind of like about time, right? <laughs> but all of that aside. I want to know, so as a mom, as a nursing mom, as someone who wants to be pregnant again, I think that there is a lot of fear and understandable fear for anybody in my position or anybody in the world, you know, with a brand new vaccination, there's not a lot of information out. 
what could happen in the long run. Or even all, while you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or does it affect your fertility and all the things. I wanted to bring on someone who's an expert who really knows what they're talking about. And I wanted to bring you on the podcast because I'm sure that there are so many more people who are kind of like myself. Like, yeah. Obviously, I want to get the vaccination because I know that that's the only way that we're supposed to stop it. But I also want to have babies and yeah. stay healthy. And so I wanted to have, I mean, you're literally perfect because you're so judgment free. I can tell just by talking to you right now. And also like you definitely know what you're talking about. So I'm like, you are literally the perfect person to have on. My mother-in-law, she was really funny. I was like, I don't know because I'm scared. Like I really want more kids. And she's like, oh, and I'm like, what about long-term side effects? And she's like, well, I'm already 65, 70, however she's 70. (laughs) She's like, I'm already 70. I'm not worried about long-term effects. I'm going to be dead before that ever happens. I'm like, Okay, good. Glad you feel so comfortable with a COVID vaccination. So yeah, what are your thoughts on I mean, some of that's the a, rumors that are out there? Yeah, this is a loaded question. There's a yeah. whole lot in there, but that's kind of where my heart's at yeah. with all the questions. Yeah. Okay, so real quick, before we get to that, I do want to mention a couple of our sponsors. Now, I've had a chance to use Rebate Key, and if you haven't heard of Rebate Key, so if you shop at any of the major online retailers, whether it's Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, this is a way for you to get cash rebate rebates back for items that you're already buying. So I went to the rebatekey.com site. I bought a basketball net for my daughter. Now this basketball net is sold on Amazon, but there was a 70% rebate for this. So I paid for the basketball goal for Henley, and I got a rebate check in the mail for that item. Now, it makes it even easier if you download the Google Chrome extension because you can go to Amazon.com directly, and the Chrome extension will actually highlight for you which items have rebate. So don't pay full price for products that you're already buying online. Check out Rebate Key. It's completely free to use. They will never ask for your credit card number. It makes online shopping scary easy and getting a rebate check in the mail is probably the coolest thing ever. So there is no reason to not sign up for Rebate Key right now. It's absolutely free. Never pay full price online. Again, just go to rebatekey.com. That's rebatekey.com, R-E-B-A-T-E-K-E-Y.com. And last but certainly not least, native deodorant. And native deodorant is something that is used in this household all the time. So native deodorant uses all ingredients that you've actually heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. They are an all-natural deodorant, but you're not sacrificing efficacy. And when I tell you I smell Jamie every single day and she smells amazing. And her new favorite now is Paradise Flower and Amber Scent, which I find smells absolutely incredible. But none of the native products are tested on animals and almost everything is vegan and it's absolutely risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the U.S. and a free 30-day exchange or return policy. Now, Native Deodorant has sensitive deodorants for people with baking soda sensitivity. They also offer a whole plastic-free deodorant line, and they're actually adding way more to their plastic-free packaging and deodorant. So if you're looking to cut down on your consumption, definitely check out nativedeo.com. And there's even a way where you can subscribe to Native, so you'll never have to sweat about running out of deodorant again. Did you see what I did there? But Native just launched their new Jungalo collection, which is an LA-based lifestyle influence. They also have scents like tangerine and citrus blossom, sandalwood and fig, Jamie's favorite paradise flower and amber. They also just added lilac and white tea to their plastic-free deodorant lineup, and they're going to be adding more, which is actually really amazing. To check out Native for yourself, you can go to nativedeo.com slash HMCP. That's N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O. 
dot com slash HMCP, or you can use the promo code HMCP at checkout and you get 20% off your first order. That's native D-E-O dot com slash HMCP, or use the promo code HMCP at checkout for 20% off your first order. Native D-O dot com slash HMCP. Okay, enough of me talking about the sponsors. Let's get back to the interview. So I'm, I'm hearing three questions in this. I'm hearing questions about nursing. I'm hearing questions about fertility and pregnancy. And I'm hearing questions about long-term effects. And I've got answers for all of them. And I'll start by saying I'm interested in all these things too, because I also am a mom. I've got two kids, a four-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. We would like to have another kid too. And so that's on my mind as well. And these decisions I don't think should be taken lightly. I, that's why I try to give people the information so that they can make informed choices. I'm not trying to tell people to get vaccinated. I'm saying, here are the facts, here's the data. You can feel confident that it's safe and effective. And this is why. So right now we know that these vaccines were not specifically tested in pregnant and nursing people. However, people got pregnant in all of the trials. And millions of people, since the vaccines have been authorized through emergency use authorization, have been vaccinated. And several of those people have been pregnant. In fact, the CDC released data on 30,000 pregnant people showing that it was safe for those people. I'll start by saying that the theory behind risk of fertility implications is as far from the truth as you can imagine. It's quite literally made up. I'll start by saying two things. One, it's kind of copy pasted from some pretty tired anti-vaccine rhetoric from you know previous days. Uh, there's a lot of that similar language that's been linked, falsely linked to the HPV vaccine and people love to kind of tack that on to a new vaccine. The second thing is there's kind of a logical fallacy in the actual scientific claim of it. So the person who was on an online forum said that they saw a similarity in the sequence of amino acids for the spike protein and placental proteins. Now, if you remember from like back in the day, biology, amino acids are the building blocks for proteins. So he thought, okay, well, if these are similar, if you have antibodies, maybe the antibodies will attack the spike protein as it should, but maybe it'll also attack the placental proteins. But again, there's a logical fallacy there because amino acid similarities are very common in like a lot of contexts. So it's not unusual that you would see a similarity. It's also kind of a leap to assume that they would attack something like a placental protein. Not to mention the fact that the placenta doesn't really develop until your second trimester. Like it's a much later process. So it's not a early kind of fertility conception concern, not to mention the fact that there were people who got pregnant in the trials. So that would also show you that, you know, you can get pregnant while being vaccinated. One of the most forgotten uh, outcomes too in the trials is the fact that the negative outcomes related to pregnancy all happened in the placebo groups, meaning they were the ones who didn't actually get the vaccine. So you can see that too as another indication that these are safe and effective for vaccinated people. There's growing data for pregnant people. There's growing data too that shows that there's now even protective power for the fetus and even postpartum for a potential lactation. So, you know, what we know with certainty is the fact that pregnant people are at a great risk of very bad outcomes with COVID. It's a very dangerous disease for pregnant people and for the fetus. And so because of that, the benefits of vaccination outweigh any theoretical risks because we know that a condition for a bad outcome is being pregnant. So Real fast. Yeah. Can I just ask you, just because it's on the top of my mind, what are the bad outcomes for pregnant women in the fetus? Yeah. I would have loved this information a year ago when yeah. I was pregnant with my son. Yeah. So, I mean, we've both been pregnant. You've probably been told by your doctor that it's considered a high risk situation, that your body's kind of in a 
constant state of inflammation that you don't want to risk getting things like fever, for instance, because fever, especially in the first trimester, can be very dangerous for the fetus. Having something like a respiratory disease that can cause things like respiratory failure or organ failure are very, very dangerous for a pregnant person. And because you're in this state of like your body kind of basically nourishing another being while you're you know trying to keep yourself nourished, you're at a dangerous risk for being hospitalized and potentially either losing the pregnancy or dying yourself. And so it sounds really morbid. There are pregnant people who have survived COVID, but it's a very risky situation to get COVID when you're pregnant, which is why they were so you know particular about pregnant people, keep your risk low, make sure that you're wearing your masks. When you were probably seeing your OB during the pandemic, they probably had very strict protocols for who and how many people could even be in the waiting room if your partner could come with you. All of these things were because they wanted to protect this vulnerable population. Now, this brings up the conversation of long-term effects. And what we know biologically is that vaccines don't remain in the body very long. They kind of go into the body, they do their job, which is kind of deliver a message, and they degrade shortly after. Now, the FDA was so particular about getting safety data that they didn't even allow the companies to submit their application for EUA until they had data for eight weeks post-vaccination. That's because most events that are negative, if they happen, would happen moments, days, maybe weeks after vaccination. So they gave them an eight-week post-vaccination window to say, well, let's cover our bases here. Let's make sure nothing happens. And I'll also say that the first person who got vaccinated with an mRNA vaccine was on March 16th, 2020. That's over a year ago. We have data that's over a year old that shows us that we don't anticipate, we have not seen any indication of having long-term consequences. It's kind of a major, major assumption that's not based on any kind of biology. Is it still up in the air about how long the vaccination will actually hold and keep you safe? Up in the air is kind of not the best term to describe it. It's that we don't know yet in the sense that we will make those determinations as we get more data. So we know it's at least protective for three months. It's very likely that it'll be protective for six, nine, but like we can't. 100% predict. Prior to the variants becoming a major issue, the CEO of Moderna said that they anticipated protection to last about two years, which is pretty good and about average what you would expect. I will say that so far, these vaccines have exceeded every one of my expectations. I mean, when we first started talking about vaccines last spring, they were shooting for 50% efficacy, which is like the ballpark for flu. The fact that we have Moderna and Pfizer north of 90% and all three, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, 100% effective at keeping you out of the hospital and keeping you from dying, we couldn't have even dreamed of that. So I would say that our expectations of protection duration to be much greater too. I have so many questions for you. Thank you so much for being such a wealth of knowledge. So the first thing I wanted to ask is, so as you talked about just a second ago, there are three different vaccinations, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that Johnson & Johnson is a little bit different than the first two, yeah. Moderna and what's Pfizer. Pfizer. Mm -hmm. And I know that the efficacy for Johnson & Johnson is technically a little bit lower, right, than the other two because it's a little different. I would love to... Or is it just because it's newer? Or like, yeah, let us know. What do you think? Yeah, great question. So comparing efficacy is a very tricky thing, and it's not actually apples to apples or even apples to oranges at this point. You have to think about context of these vaccine trials. So Pfizer and Moderna are remarkably similar because they're very similar types of vaccines, and they also were tested around the same time under similar conditions in the U.S., 
Johnson & Johnson is a different type of vaccine. It's an adenovirus vector vaccine. What that means is that there's a virus, adenovirus, that typically causes the common cold, which is weakened. It doesn't actually cause infection or replication in your body. And it kind of serves as the vector, which means carrying something to that message to your body, effectively to do the same thing, to train your body to make those spike proteins and then recognize it with antibodies and fight it with antibodies. That said, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine trials happened globally, and they also happened during a time when there were variants circulating and really intense variants like the one in South Africa and in the UK and in Brazil. So the fact that you can kind of think of it like they got a harder test and they performed under more difficult conditions. But the primary goal of all vaccines in the history of vaccines is to do two major things, to prevent you from getting severely sick from that disease and to prevent you from dying. And all three of those vaccines do that. You can't at face value look at 66% and compare it to 94%. That's actually not true to either of the data. 66% is the average for all the things. It is still 85% effective against severe disease, which is a huge, huge amount of protection. So I feel very confident and will go blue in the face saying that the best vaccine is the one that is immediately available to you. And then so for anyone that currently has COVID, if you get infected, do you have to wait for that to run its course in order to get the vaccine or are you vaccinated or considered vaccinated if you've already had COVID? Yeah, great question. That has a lot of nuance to answer. So, you know, the CDC a few months ago had said that if you've been infected, you are unlikely to get a second infection within that 90 days of that first infection, which is why there was initial whisperings of if you've been infected, you can wait 90 days before you get vaccinated. However, this was also pre-variants and the variants pose a risk to people who have been infected or not been infected. So, the, the recommendation right now is that you be symptom-free and fully recovered before you get vaccinated. You don't technically have to wait the 90 days. Some jurisdictions were making that a requirement, but I think that's, that's softened now that there's more volume, more inventory of vaccines. Now that said, there's a growing amount of data. There was two papers this week that were just published that showed a comparison of people's immune response post-vaccination compared to people's immune response post-natural infection. And immunizations, you know, consistently had higher, more robust, more long-lasting immune response. Natural infection has a very variable response in people's bodies. Some people have long immunity. Some people have a lot of antibodies. Some people have no antibodies. So because it's so variable, it's not safe or recommended to say that if you've been infected, you're considered vaccinated. That's just not true. Can you explain why that is? Because to me, as like, you know, someone who's not in the science world right now, like I'm wondering, like, how on earth is that so when clearly COVID is taking over your whole body? How does your body develop more antibodies from just a vaccination, a smaller amount of the virus than, you know, when it's overtaking your whole body. Yeah. Well, so two things, the mRNA vaccine and even the Johnson and Johnson vaccine don't have any parts of the virus in it. So they're not actually giving your body the virus. They're training your body to build the spike protein, which is that very characteristic spike on the coronavirus. And then once it builds that, it creates very specific antibodies to fight that. Now, if you, like you said, if your body gets taken over by COVID-19, you would think that you have a lot of virus in you, that you think that you'd be protected. But think about the fact that people's infections also vary. There's asymptomatic infections, there's mild infections, there's very severe infections. And it's plausible that people who had a major infection, who had a lot high viral load, may potentially have a stronger, more durable immune response. But that also varies based on other issues like immunocompromised um, states. So people who are considered immunodeficient sometimes 
don't have any antibodies that are durable, sometimes have kind of long COVID symptoms or PASC. And so because, again, there's more variables in how people express the disease, the vaccine itself uh, has historically, in vaccines previously, tend to train the body to build those stronger immune response, to build those memory cells, those T cells and B cells that remember the virus, remember how it looks and fight it more aggressively. And so now that there are a lot of, well, I would say they're now generating more vaccines and they're going to become more widely available. Can you stress how important it is to still mask up mm. and, and why people should still wear their mask? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, one, the pandemic's not over. You know, we are at a very critical point in the pandemic where it's a race between the variants and the vaccines. And we really need vaccinations up and infections down to kind of get that edge over a possible fourth surge. We are trying very actively right now to prevent another fourth surge. And we're seeing some troubling trends in some pockets of the U.S., Michigan, for instance, in the Northeast and even Florida, where transmission is increasing. That means more cases are happening. And we risk, again, our healthcare infrastructure being at, you know, full capacity or exceeding full capacity. And that presents a really dangerous situation, not to mention the fact that healthy people get vaccinated. So we need as many healthy bodies to be able to get vaccinated. And so by doing that, by wearing your mask, by practicing physical distancing, by avoiding high risk activity like indoor gatherings, you're basically preparing yourself to be vaccinated. You're helping prevent opportunities for more infections. And I'll also say viruses mutate all the time, but they only mutate as they are replicating, meaning inside people's bodies. So we can outsmart the variants by giving the variant less bodies to infect and replicate in. We risk more variant numbers and we also risk more mutations the more infections we have. And so we can really do our part to block that by creating a physical barrier, by not getting infected, we can slow the spread of the variants and the virus itself. I feel like that is profound right there. Like truly, like that really spreads home a message to me. I got to be honest, I'm always cautious of vaccinations in general. And I'm like, well, for example, for the flu vaccination and not so much for my children or anything like that. But for the flu vaccination, I've always just been like, eh, if I get the flu, I'll be fine. You know, whatever. And so with COVID, I was like, <laughs> you know, I would rather thing. like stay inside. I wear my mask, all the things. And I was like, I just felt like I wasn't going to get it as long as I did all the things I was supposed to do. And I haven't gotten it. So thank God, knock on wood. But you still see nudniks out there that just yeah. don't wear a mask. But no, boggles but, my mind. But, but what, what's so profound about this is that, first of all, I guess that's an okay thought in the sense that like, if you just like hide away and mm -hmm. never see anybody, which is probably what you should be doing anyways. But, Sounds wonderful. But like, it's like you just completely debunked my own theory that if I actually caught it, then I would have more antibodies in the future. Yeah. You debunked my theory that if I caught it and like survived, I just didn't know that like the fact that it changes and mutates within an infected person, that is so huge because yeah. that really, really encourages me to get the vaccination because yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I wouldn't want it to mutate with inside myself as I caught it and then you know, now there's a whole other like spread of it, you know, yeah. a different version. Yeah. I don't want to cause any fear about mutations too, because mutations are super normal. Like mutations happen all the time with viruses. Viruses, when they grow or when they spread, they make copies of themselves. And that process is kind of imperfect. So they have typos, essentially. When you have a number of typos and they accumulate to change the virus's behavior, then that is a variant. But again, the more bodies it has to replicate in, the more risk there is for those typos to accumulate. 
And so that's why we're saying we're not done wearing masks. And to be completely honest, I feel like people like myself won't be done wearing masks for even longer. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be wearing them every single day after the pandemic, but I'll be sure to pack them when it's flu season and I have to hop on a plane, you know, like why not? Yeah. And kind of getting to that, because that does kind of give a ray of hope that there will be an end to the pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, this is a really big question that I hear often. And we're like, even our family, we discuss like, we're like, I don't know, because my in-laws now have received both their vaccinations and they're planning on coming here in a couple of weeks. And we haven't received any vaccinations yet. And primarily because I wanted to really know the facts first. Like, I don't want to just I really want to know what I'm doing, especially because I'm nursing my son, which now I've discovered that actually it's probably beneficial to be nursing my son while getting the vaccination because mm-hmm. then he doesn't have to get a shot. He can get it through my breast milk, right? Possibly. Yeah. We're seeing growing data with that. But also there are trials that have just started with Moderna that are including children as young as six months. So we might be seeing a vaccine that it will be available for children as young as six months as early as next year. Oh, that's awesome. Who are these parents that donate their children at six months? Henley, let's go. Let's get this tester shot for you. Well, I bet you. I, I mean, it's so important, and I'm grateful and, and thankful for that. But yeah, Tug. it is a good question, though. You know, because I think that a lot of parents would ask that. So, you know, talking to an epidemiologist, how comfortable do you feel? You know, like signing your child up for like the first vaccination that's available to them. Yeah, I would feel comfortable doing it. And I say that because what we know about how the vaccine works, what we know about how it has been received in adults is very comforting to me. And, you know, it's not entirely new, new, new. Like, I think a lot of people look at this as like, we've never tested this before. The research behind mRNA vaccines is decades old. We have been testing this type of vaccine even in other trials for years. It's just never been as emergent of a situation as we're dealing right now with COVID-19. And so because of that, I know we have decades of research to show that this is a safe and effective mechanism for training your body to have an immune response. And, what about and is that why the vaccine came out remarkably fast? I know technology yeah. has totally improved, but it sounds like because people are considering this, or the, I guess some of the fear is we've never had this before, yeah. we've never had this type of shot before. But what you're saying is that you've actually been testing this type of vaccine going back years and yes. years. And is that one of the factors as to why the vaccine came out so quickly? Yeah, the runway was built many years ago, I mean, decades ago. And then, you know, they tested it on SARS, they tested it on influenza. But again, those diseases died out and, or at least SARS and MERS did. And so it wasn't as emergent again. Not to mention the fact that Operation Warp Speed, you know, provided a lot of funding to make sure that the clinical trial process advanced from stage to stage without any bureaucratic or financial hiccups. What it did was it made sure that all hands were on deck, that labs were pencils down on other things and prioritized COVID-19 vaccine development. I mean, think about it as like the best case scenario for a group project. Everybody's doing their part. There's nobody kind of like lagging. And there was so much interest in these trials. They didn't have any trouble getting enrollment for the trials. Is this something that can also die out? Is that kind of expected for it to die out? I mean, the goal of vaccination is essentially to make a disease die out, right? It's essentially creating dead ends to the virus so that it can't continue to infect other people. There are some theories that the virus could become endemic, which kind of like is what happened with H1N1. It's now a circulating influenza virus that we're kind of used to, but it's part of our vaccines and it's not as disruptive as it used to be. We kind of think that that could happen with COVID-19 too, where enough people are inoculated 
populated where we have immunity to it, and then it becomes less disruptive, less of a concern to our healthcare infrastructure. Is that also part of like the herd immunity that they speak of? Is this something that would happen in this type of virus? Yeah, I think it's kind of in the way that some people have falsely defined herd immunity. Herd immunity can only exist in the context of mass vaccination. So once everybody is, most people are vaccinated and that most range is like between 70 to 85%, then you can start to see things like herd immunity. You can't make that claim with natural infection because like we talked about earlier, it's so variable from person to person. Okay. I had a question way back, like when we were talking about my in-laws, Doug and Bonnie coming to visit, they have received their vaccinations, but we haven't. I wanted to ask you, can they still carry COVID in themselves and pass it on to someone who's not vaccinated? Yeah. So the CDC recently issued guidance on what you can do post-vaccination, post-fully vaccination with vaccinated or unvaccinated people. There's also been data that's coming out from places like Israel and even in the U.S. that show that after vaccination, if you are infected, one, the risk is extremely low. And two, your viral load, which is kind of the amount of virus that's in your body, is dramatically reduced by vaccination, which means you are less infectious to others when your viral load is low. So it's a very good sign that not only is the vaccine protecting you, it's also protecting others because it's making you very unlikely to be as infectious as somebody who has a high viral load. So we are seeing data that's showing that it's preventing asymptomatic infection. We're seeing data that's showing that it's preventing transmission. So it's very, very encouraging. And that's partially why the CDC made the recommendation or made the kind of accommodation that two fully vaccinated households, meaning at least two weeks after the final dose, can congregate in a private, emphasis on private setting without masks or distancing. This is not like you can all hang out unmasked outside. It's Mm -hmm. in the context of a private setting. And, you know, they even said you could relax a little bit, which I'm more cautious on with being with unvaccinated people if it's just with one other household. Because again, your risk of infection and your risk of transmission are dramatically reduced by vaccination. Did you notice a change in any of the policies, philosophies, or just access to information with the change of the president? I mean... Yes, in the sense that, and I don't know how political you want to get, but <laughs> we don't want to get no. very political. Yeah, yeah, not not really. You know, I've listened to interviews, and you know, even just the change of the president. And I'm not speaking Republican or Democrat. Yeah, it seems like getting rid of the virus is more of a priority and a focus, which I love seeing. Yeah, um, I was just curious if anything had changed. Things have changed. Yeah, things have changed. The CDC is back online. They are now doing the kind of public health messaging that they weren't doing for a long time. They're more active on social media. They're more active on Twitter. They're more active with their weekly analysis. We're seeing a more united front when it comes to messaging on masks and a more united front on messaging that has to do with vaccines and even concepts of herd immunity. And the fact that that was being denied or even confused by people in the executive branch was very troubling for people in public health because we're like, this is not up for interpretation. There's a very defined term of what it means to be protected, and that happens after vaccination. So the fact that we're not seeing the infighting that we saw previously and the fact that we're seeing a more kind of unanimous message on we need to keep transmission low, we need to be very cautious when we move forward, nobody is denying the fact that this is endlessly burdensome on businesses, on individuals, and on mental health. Like All those things have still remained, but they should be coming with some sort of either solution from the government, but not replacement of public health mitigation, because public health mitigation is our way out of this. And it's a combination of things. It's many tools in our toolkit. We've never, and we should never have looked at the vaccine as the silver bullet. It's got to be a combination of that, plus masks, plus distancing, plus being very cautious in our reopening, et cetera. 
I guess, you know, with some of the other viruses, and I think you mentioned, was it H1N1 that's mm-hmm. still kind of around? Um, with the coronavirus, is this something that will just become less effective? Or if everybody gets the vaccine, does it eventually die out where we may not need the COVID vaccine anymore? So it's unclear kind of what the cadence of vaccination will be, like if we'll need it annually, if we'll need it every two years, that time will tell, right? And I think, again, this is where we have to be extremely careful about the variants not getting a strong foothold in the U.S., because if that happens, then, you know, they're already doing research on booster vaccines to add that kind of extra protection against these variants, because like I mentioned, you could be previously infected, you could even be vaccinated and potentially still get that because there's a little bit of a difference. I will say all three of the vaccines that we have available have shown protective ability against the variants, which is very reassuring. It's not 100%, but it provides sufficient protection. But that said, like this pandemic isn't going to end. It's not going to be like this forever. The pandemic will end. Pandemics don't last forever. Viruses do not outsmart humans in that sense. We will eventually, as a species, outsmart it. And so I hope that it is sooner rather than later. I anticipate the rest of the year being more and more, you know, kind of back to normal. I will say I love that I can say I was kind of wrong on my predictions for when the vaccine would be publicly available to the general like adults population. California just announced that it's now going to be available to everybody who's over 16 in three weeks. And I was anticipating that wouldn't happen until like fall of this year. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Will they have enough vaccines for the entire population? I know they population's growing and growing, but are they producing enough for this to be distributed worldwide to cover everybody? And also I want to tack on to that question. If somebody who's listening to this has now decided that maybe they want to try to get their vaccination, where would they go to get it? How do they sign up for to join the wait list? Yeah, great question. So, you know, Operation Warp Speed intended to make sure that there were enough for 300 million people to get vaccinated in the U.S., which is great. And I think we'll meet that. I think based on the supply and the demand that'll happen. A number of companies like AstraZeneca and even Johnson & Johnson have made very strong commitments to making sure that other countries all over the world are also getting it. There's also a strong push for countries that have excess or bulk unused vaccines to donate them to other countries, especially countries in need. There is a very, very disproportionate rate of full vaccination when it comes to healthcare workers in other countries. And that's very troubling because they are frontline workers. They need to be taken care of, especially in places like South America, where we're seeing some pretty scary things happen in Brazil and Argentina. So I think that there will be as these companies step up with their manufacturing goals to make sure that there's enough for the whole world. This also brings up the issue of equity, right? Like we can't make assumptions on the fact that we have access to vaccines and if we're fully vaccinated, we can just like bop around the world, right? We should always be considering vaccine equity, healthcare infrastructure status as parts of our, you know, risk evaluation. I'm going to be very, very risk averse when it comes to that, because I don't want to make any presumptions on the fact that I, my family, my circle of friends are all fine, but we're going to go to a country where there's no vaccines available for the local people. Like that seems really messed up to me. So I hope that that becomes part of people's equations as they make choices post-vaccination on what they can and can't do. I'm not saying not to do anything fun, but just consider that. And then you asked... If someone wants to get the vaccine, what are some of the resources they can... 
go to? Yeah, if someone is looking for a vaccine, I would strongly recommend that they go to vaccinefinder.org, which is a website that is now working with the CDC. It's integrated with Apple, with Google, with Facebook. It basically will be a portal to help you find pharmacies and vaccination sites, get you an idea of what is available in stock, send you directly to their websites so that you can book appointments directly from the locations. That's amazing. Thank you. And for anyone listening, just so you know, I'm sure you're probably multitasking. So I'm going to, of course, put that in the show notes. My last question for you is, I know you talk a lot about mRNA and how that's already in our body. And I know that the first two vaccinations, which were Pfizer and Moderna, Mm -hmm. have mRNA in it, right? Am I saying Mm -hmm. this right? And then Johnson & Johnson is a synthetic form, right? It's man-made instead of... Johnson & Johnson is called, and it's a viral vector vaccine, and it's using an adenovirus as the vector. So it's an adenovirus vector vaccine. It is taking adenovirus, which is a weakened virus, typically causes the common cold, as the vector to carry basically the same message to train your body to recognize, to build the spike protein and then fight the spike protein. So my question then is you're confident that all three of these vaccinations are like going to be effective. And is there any studies as to which one someone should get based on their body profile age? Is there one vaccine that's better for a certain group of people than the others? Yeah. So to answer your question, the vaccines have already demonstrated that they are effective. And, you know, we measure efficacy in a trial. We measure effectiveness after the trial in the sense that we measure it in the real world once we get all this data and the data of like these millions of people getting vaccinated each day and kind of what their outcomes are. I will say like there's a lot of misinformation about vaccine reactions and vaccine tolerability. Every single event that is severe is investigated by the FDA and the CDC. So, you know, just to be to assure people like we're not just doing this willy nilly. There's a very thoughtful process in even collecting this data and analyzing this data. That said, Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson, I think, will be the vaccines that will be primary in the U.S. I think we might see boosters for them as well to cover for like what we said with the variants. And I think that the CDC has also made it very clear that like if you have a history of allergies, if you have a history of chronic illnesses, even Bell's palsy or, you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome, that these vaccines are still safe for you, that if you have concerns, you should obviously talk to your specialist and your allergist. But the only known allergy that is of concern right now is if you have an allergy to what's called polyethylene glycol, which is a very specific ingredient that is used as the active ingredient in Miralax. So if you know that you react negatively or allergically to Miralax, then stay away from Pfizer or Moderna. But there are no allergens. There's no preservatives in any of the vaccines. There's no heavy metals. There's no mercury. If people are concerned about that, even though they shouldn't be. There's no chip. There's no chip that goes in There's no DNA in it. It cannot alter your DNA. I should also say like mRNA doesn't even touch your DNA because your DNA is just safely in your nucleus and the mRNA doesn't even go to your nucleus. Just all that action happens in the cytoplasm around the nucleus. So I have not seen any recommendation or prioritization of one vaccine over the other based on your pre-existing conditions or your health. They've all been said to be safe and effective for all people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I... Truly, truly, truly can't thank you enough for coming on and just sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. And I'm sure everyone listening is so thankful too, because, you know, whether you had the vaccination or not, there's still so many questions out there that we all have. It's, it is so new still. And you're right. A lot of misinformation and, and I love having experts 
just come on and I really appreciate you and peers like you that are speaking up because that's the only way that people are going to understand. And yeah, I mean, even initially when I was just like, I don't want to get the first vaccine that comes out. There's no studies. There's not, that was my mindset. And and when I was thinking about it, I didn't get that thought from anyone that was a doctor or a scientist or anyone. It was just something that was in my head. Yeah. Um, It was interesting that I can be very uh, humble and admit is that, you know, I feel like the doctors and scientists are all getting this vaccination and they're the ones who really know about the long-term effects of, or like, you know, they know about all of this. And then like me, just the common folk is like, (laughs) I don't know, like, what about, you know? And then I like think, I think of up these theories in my head and I'm not one to like go and and announce it or anything, but like I heard a little bit about infertility and I'm like, oh crap, I can't get it then because I really want another baby. Meanwhile, you know, have you had your vaccination? I have. I've had one dose. I get my second dose in a couple weeks. Okay. So you're somebody obviously (laughs) who wants another baby. You told me that and you are getting the vaccination and you live in the science world. So who am I to like come up with these theories or think these things? I think you're brilliant. Thank you. Well, I will say too, this is like the power of science communication because I don't want people to make this be like, oh, just listen to science. Just don't use your brain. I want people to use their brain. I want people to read this stuff. That's why I share this stuff. That's why I don't think that I'm here to dumb it down. I'm here to elevate and bring people's science and data literacy up so that they can make informed choices. Because I think that for too long, science has been in this like very elite ivory tower where it's like, let the scientist handle it and then like let everybody else kind of figure it out or have to parse through misinformation to get to the truth. And I'm like, this is the bridge that I'm trying to build here. It's trying to connect the science community, the clinical data to everybody else who I am part of. Like I'm a normal person too. Like I'm not just a scientist. I'm also a mom and a friend and a wife and all these other things. And I think that if we get too binary about this stuff, that's what allows people to create conspiracies and to misinterpret data and to create, you know, misinformation that goes really viral on social media. So I I don't want people to say, like, I'm just, I wouldn't know, I couldn't know. You can. And that's what I'm here to help with. I love that response. That's so sweet. You are the queen of non-judgment and like no pressure (laughs) and just being so like loving and humble and also super knowledgeable and just, I mean, all hail to you. (laughs) And and if anybody has any questions, where can people find you or what would be the best resources for them? Yeah, I would say that my Instagram is probably a great place to start. I save all of my questions that I get over the weekend as highlights. So there's, you know, 31 now highlights of just weekend Q&As. My handle is Jessica Malati Rivera. Okay, wonderful. And of course, those of you guys listening, if you're busy, don't worry. I'm going to have that down in the show notes as well. And I just want to say thank you again, Jessica, because I'm definitely going to sign up our family to get the vaccination. And I feel 10 million times more comfortable. Like I really didn't want to do it on a whim. I really wanted to be educated and make an educated decision about the vaccination. And I feel like now I really have like I don't know. I just feel better educated and I feel I'm excited to do it now. Whereas before I was nervous and scared. So thank you. Yeah. So thank oh, you. So you, really, you really helped me out and I'm sure somebody listening, you've helped them out as well. So on behalf of all of us, thank yes. you for taking your time. Uh, I mean, thank you guys. Thanks. Bye. Again, 
You know, initially we had somebody on that spoke about COVID. Yeah, and she was great too. That was way back in the very, very beginning. I know, and now with a year's worth of data and even the vaccines that are out now, I think it's super important to always stay current because even then they were just like, you know, we're getting information every single day and some of it's changing. Some, I mean- people thought that you can catch it really from like surfaces and we were wearing gloves and washing cardboard boxes before they came into the house. And, but I think the point of everything that we just covered is please just still be safe. You know, the mask should be something that is a pain, but yeah, let's stay safe and smart. I feel like, you know, not like that sentence because I butchered the sentence to make me sound not smart or smart less. (laughs) <laughs> what? Uh, sleep deprivation from parents yeah. is a real thing. Also, she's mm-hmm. a parent and she does not sound at all like, I mean, she just was so on her A game. She was just so yeah. incredible. I can't get over just how knowledgeable and judgment free she really is. And so that's something that I aspire to be like. So if you're still here and you're still on the fence about, you know, the shot, I get it because I've been on the fence myself. But for me, I'm fully convinced now. I really am. And I am too. I honestly wasn't. And that's why I wanted to bring her on. And I know that that is, you know, I'll probably get backlash for it, but I'm all about being very, very honest and transparent. And for me, my journey to become pregnant has been very, very difficult. And we really want to grow our family still. And I was really scared. So I was like, well, if I just stay like hoarded inside and just don't like see anybody, you know, I think that I'll be okay and maybe it'll all just go away. It's not all just going to go away though. It's really not. We all have to take steps ourselves individually to help our families, to like secure our future. And for anybody that's still on the fence, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, All I'm saying is that don't get the information from your neighbor or somebody that's not a scientist that you follow on social media. Do some research yourself Mm -hmm. because like I said, uh, I admit even in the beginning that I was saying that I don't want to get the first vaccine because I thought it would be bad and there's going to be issues with it. And that was based solely on my Your own thoughts. thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, then his thoughts are in my head and yeah. I'm like, oh, he's got a good point. Like we don't know anything about the end of it. Turns out, as Jessica just said, mRNA has been around forever. This mm-hmm. is not a brand new, brand spinking new, mm-hmm. you know, vaccination. Like it's just altered to affect COVID. And so we know that it's actually safe because actually exists within our own body. I love hearing scientists that say that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and she is so hopeful and not just hopeful, confident and certain. And I loved hearing that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. We have another fantastic episode coming up next week along with an all new Married at First Sight review. So stay tuned for that. And you can visit us at Hot Marriage Cool Parents on Instagram or Jamie and Otis or at Doug Hainer to find out everything more about hot marriage, cool parents and anything upcoming and anything really. Yeah. And we just love hearing from you guys. So thank you guys for your five-star reviews and thank you so much for hanging tight to the very end of this episode. Because if you're still with us, it's been a long one, but it's a good one. And if you have kids, Hanging with the Hainer Kids on YouTube. Fantastic videos. Yeah, actually, I can attest to that. Douglas, is you are doing a good job. I'm, I'm trying. I'm really like hard. thoroughly impressed. Like, if any mom out there has ever discovered Blippi on YouTube, my husband is like... Not even close to Blippi. Not even close to Blippi, but, you know, I'm like, wow, Doug, you're kind of... I mean, I could see maybe you could get on that level a little bit, maybe... I don't know. I I try to have as much enthusiasm, but it's really not about me. It's about Henley and Hendrix and, you know, getting 
them involved in the videos, but also having an important message. Yeah. So thank you so much for those of you guys listening. And we'll see you later. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe. Love you. I'm going to get my vaccination. Wear Signing up. Bye.